What a wonderful opportunity for us to give and to show our concern for the gospel and the ministry that God wants to work throughout our world. As we come this morning, we come again to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and we turn to verses 3 through 7 and we see there a passage that calls us to be committed to the king, to be committed to the king. Paul has already told young Timothy, his son in the ministry, listen, Timothy, you need to understand you need to be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. But not only do you need to be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ, Timothy, you need to be a teacher who teaches others who then who entrust the gospel to faithful teachers who will then entrust it to faithful teachers. In other words, you need to be an unbroken link in the chain of the transmission of the gospel throughout the generations. But this morning, Paul turns and he calls Timothy to a strange a calling, a, a hard calling for most of us to understand. He says, Timothy, I want you to come and suffer with me in the gospel. Suffer with me in the gospel. He calls him to suffer hardship for the sake of the kingdom of Christ. Now, that's sort of hard to understand within our consumer-oriented culture, within our comfort oriented culture. The mentality of the typical American couch potato, and this includes myself, is to find the closest parking place to the store so you don't have to walk, isn't it? You ever notice that? A few weeks ago, a few months ago, I dropped Olivia off at a store and I rode out and parked out in the middle of nowhere and I was watching other people and this one car circled the parking places, went through five times. And then finally, they stopped and waited for someone who was walking out of the store. They waited to see where they were going to get. Well, it just so happened that they got into the car that was first in that order. And immediately that car pulled in. The strange thing was they had circled five times and then waited for about a minute and a half, two minutes for that person to get to the car. And they only got two parking places closer to the door. It was amazing. As we watch, we indeed have a problem. We'd rather drive a block than walk a block. We'd rather sit in our recliner with a remote in our hand and watch all of those guys exercise themselves diligently on Saturday afternoons and Sunday afternoons than get out and perform exercise ourselves. Indeed, I like Barry Switzer's definition of football. He said football is this. It is 50,000 fans sitting in the seats desperately in need of exercise and 22 players standing on the field desperately in need of rest. The reality is for many of us, our definition of exercise is getting up and walking to go get some more chips and some more drinks. But we must understand, Paul is writing to Timothy and saying, you must embrace hardship for the sake of the gospel. And I want to warn you in advance, I had to preach the sermon to myself first and hear these words and deal with these words and say, am I living in any place in hardship for the sake of the gospel? But this is a convicting text. How many of us, including me, How many of us are willing to embrace hardship for the sake and the cause of Jesus Christ and his gospel? How many of us keep ourselves unentangled from the affairs of everyday life so that we might please our please Jesus Christ, who is our commander in chief? How many of us discipline ourselves as athletes for the kingdom of God so that we might win the prize? How many of us toil in the unglamorous task of farming God's fields so that we might enjoy 
the, the fruit and the crops in eternity. See, to be a Great Commission Christian, to be a Great Commission Christian, a disciple-making Christian, we must willingly suffer hardship for the gospel because we are committed to the King above everything else. This, this text assumes that as a Christian, as a Christian, you and I desire to be fruitful for Jesus Christ. It assumes that we want to work in the gospel. Indeed, is it, we must ask ourselves, is this a valid assumption concerning our lives? If it is, then we are either serving Christ or we are praying about an opportunity God is opening for us to serve his gospel kingdom. In other words, Underlying Paul's command here to suffer hardship and understand that's not a suggestion. It is a command. In other words, underlying this command that Paul gives for the follower of Christ to suffer hardship. It is built upon Jesus's command in Matthew chapter six, verse 33, where he says to his his followers, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. When did he say to seek it? First, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all this other stuff will be added to you. Now, what is all the other stuff? Well, all the other stuff immediately preceding that is the food, the clothing, the shelter and the material possessions necessary in life. In other words, Jesus is saying, seek first God's kingdom, seek first God's righteousness, and he will provide all of these other things. Indeed. The convicting word in Jesus' command is that little word first. See, we would be okay with it if it just said, seek God's kingdom, wouldn't we? Because then it's a little, a little piece on the checklist of our to-do list for each and every week. We would be okay if it was just something else that we had to add to the, to the manageable life that we live. But understand, to seek it first means that it must be at the top of our list. It bumps everything else out of the way. There are no priorities before it. It is to control everything. It comes before everything and everyone else. The kingdom of God is not to be one of the priorities on your list. It is to be the priority on your list indeed it comes before shopping and sports before sunday afternoon naps before hunting and fishing before time on facebook or playing games on an ipod or an ipad before reading the book other books indeed before skype and google chat indeed the kingdom of god is to consume all of our desires and to be preeminent over everything that is in our life Many Christians view the kingdom of God as a nice slice of life, as a piece, as a part, something that they have to do. It's good to go to church on Sunday, but, king, but God's kingdom is not at the center of their life. It's not at the driving force of their lives. And so they dabble in the kingdom of God and they say they're a part of it. They say they're concerned about it, but they don't seek it first in any way, shape, matter, or form. Indeed, Paul's command certainly applies to pastors in this position. But listen, it delivers a charge to every person who is part of Christ's army. Every Christian within every church is to seek first God's kingdom and they are to be willing to suffer hardship. 
to show us the difficult command to endure hardship. Paul uses three illustrations. First of all, he shows us the soldier who must be focused and avoid entanglement in the worldly pleasure, in the worldly areas of life to please his commander. Secondly, he says that the Christian ought to be as an athlete who is disciplined to compete according to the rules in order that they might win the prize. And thirdly, that the Christian is to be like the farmer who works heartily, who works diligently to ensure that the, that the fruits of the crop are received and harvested. And so we see here in this passage that there is to be three characteristics of the Christian. First of all, the Christian is to be dedicated like a good soldier to Jesus Christ. Secondly, the Christian is to be disciplined in his work, in his practice, even as an athlete that practices their sport. Thirdly, the Christian is to be diligent in their work, just like a farmer who sees the harvest brought in. So we come today, let us look there in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 7, and let us test our commitment to the King. Let us test for ourselves and see whether we are truly committed to Him and we are willing to suffer hardship for the sake of His gospel. Let's stand now in honor of the reading of this God's holy word. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3. Suffer hardship with me. As a good soldier of Christ Jesus, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Father, we come to you this morning asking that you would lead us and guide us. Give us discernment so that we might serve you well. And Father, so that we might take your gospel forward in the midst of our our church, in the midst of our community, in the midst of this world. Lord, allow everything that we say and do to honor you, to be faithful uh, to your word. And Lord, we ask that the Holy Spirit would come and illuminate our hearts and illuminate our minds to receive this word. And Father, to change us and transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask now that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. In this passage, we see that the person who is committed to following Christ must expect and endure difficulty if he is to receive the king's reward given to those who remain faithful. The person who is committed to following Christ uh, must expect and endure difficulty if he is to receive the king's reward given to those who remain faithful. Indeed, the true follower of Jesus Christ, as depicted in this passage, is to display a picture of faithfulness and fidelity to the living God. That's what the whole passage is about. Listen, Timothy, if you love and serve Jesus Christ as your king, then you are going to be a picture of faithfulness and fidelity to God in every area and aspect of life. You're going to be like 
this man who is a good soldier. He is diligent. He is devoted. He is dedicated as a good soldier. You're going to be like this man who is disciplined as an athlete. You're going to be like this farmer who is diligent in his hard work to bring in the fruits of the gospel kingdom. And so, first of all, this morning, we need to see the picture of faithful Christian service that is present in the dedication of the soldier. We look there at verses 3 and 4, and we see the dedication of the Christian soldier. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. See, Paul's prison experiences had given him much access, ample opportunity to watch and to observe those Roman soldiers and how committed they were to their leaders, to their commanding officer. And so now Paul, upon seeing that that way of life and seeing the Christian life, he says, listen, a good illustration of how much we should love, how much we should obey the Lord is the way that a Roman soldier responds in obedience to his commanding officer. And so, in earlier letters, Paul has referred to spiritual warfare with principalities and powers in the Christian life and that the Christian soldier is to be engaged. He is to put on the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6 and he is to wield the weapons of spiritual battle. But here, Paul doesn't just look at the spiritual warfare, he actually looks at what a good soldier is. Soldiers on active service, and he says here, the good soldier of Jesus Christ is so called because he's dedicated, he's committed, he's willing to suffer for the sake of his commanding officer. Indeed, soldiers on active duty, soldiers on active duty do not expect to save for easy time of it, do they? For when soldiers are there on the front lines in the midst of the battle, the soldiers know and understand that they are going to face harsh living conditions. There's going to be damp weather, poor food, uncomfortable sleep, dirt, filth, inadequate shelter, and inexplainable exhaustion. The further one retreats from the front lines, the more their complaints. Isn't that true? The one who is on the front line, there's not a whole lot of time for complaining. And you definitely don't worry about the frivolous matters of life. But the one who is behind the front lines, the one who is not engaged, the one who is not participating, they're going to be much more susceptible to frivolous complaints. Those involved in the struggles of survival, the struggles of exhaustion, of, of the exhaustion of combat, rarely complain about the food. Why? Because they're just thankful to have food. See, the things, these things are part and parcel of the soldier's life. They are part and parcel of who they are and what they do in the same way Christians who determine to live holy in obedient, li- obedient lives before God place themselves on the front lines of spiritual warfare. They can count on it. They will be t- attacked by the attacks of Satan himself. They will suffer scorn. They will suffer rejection. They will suffer hard times. Often they will have to deny themselves many of the comforts of life. But the reality is a good soldier of Christ is willing to suffer the hardships for the sake of the one who has counted him to be his son. 
Indeed, when on that, we, we must as Christians be willing to suffer. But second of all, as soldiers, we must be willing to be committed. We must be committed to God above everything else. When on active service, the soldier does not get himself entangled in civilian affairs. He doesn't go around looking for opportunities to further his business. He doesn't look to, for opportunities to engage and, and further himself. He looks for opportunities to obey the commanding officer whom he serves. Enduring hardship, so enduring hardship requires devotion. But listen, performing service as a good soldier of Jesus Christ requires being committed. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. And that word entangled is the same word that is used to describe a sheep that gets his, his wool caught up in a thorn patch. That's what it, getting caught up. In a place where you shouldn't have been. You should have been following the shepherd. Instead, he wanders off to the thorn patch. And those thorns sink into his wool. And he is unable to escape. And he is in danger from every possible thing around him. And so here, Paul warns and says, Listen, I want you to get this picture. If you get entangled, if you get mixed up in sin, if you get mixed up in the stuff of this world, then you are not following the shepherd and you have been drawn away and you are trapped in all sorts of worldly things. So he's saying, listen, don't wander away from your commitment, from your duty to Jesus Christ, to our Savior and to our King. Be vigilant in keeping watch over your thinking, over your desires, over your direction. In Paul's day, Roman soldiers weren't part-time warriors. They didn't just show up some of the time. They were not busy going through all of the conquered lands that they had looking for opportunities to buy real estate or to make themselves business moguls. From sun up until sundown, they devoted themselves on honing the crafts that they had, on developing themselves as warriors, on making sure that the unit was safe and protected, on making sure that there was enough food supplied so that everyone was healthy and energetic so that they could go forth and accomplish the commands of their commanding officer. And that is to be the picture of the Christian. We're to have a great desire for God. We're to love Him more than we love anything else in this world. In fact, we're to love Him so much that we don't pay attention to the things of this world. We don't get caught up in the day-to-day worldly opportunities for sin to, to uh, become uh, ruler and reign, rule and reign in our life. We submit ourselves to Christ. Indeed, the next time we see a soldier in a uniform, we, uh, it ought to cause us to, ask us, uh, cause us to ask the question, do I love my Jesus and I, am I committed to him even as much as this young man or woman who is in their service clothes is loving and obeying their commanding officer? Do I love Christ with that same passion? Am I willing to get up and to go? I love the story of the young airman who uh, decided that he he needed a a weekend away. And he went to his commanding officer and he said, Now listen, I, I need to get away. I've got a wedding next weekend. Could I have a weekend pass? Would you please grant me that pass? And the commanding officer said, Of course, here's your pass. You must be back by 1900 hours on Sunday afternoon. No later than 1900 
hours. Can you be back? And he said, but officer, you, you don't know, sir. You don't know. You don't understand what I'm doing. I'm actually in the wedding. And to which his officer looked and said, no, sir, you are in the Air Force. You're in the Air Force. We need to have that approach in our lives before Christ. We are first and foremost His and not our own. Indeed, when the commanding officer says to jump, what is the question that all the enlisted men are to ask? How high? Exactly right. You don't ask what or why or where. You just say, how high? We are to respond in the same way to Christ. We are to display a picture of faithful service when we remain unflinching in our dedication and in our devotion to Christ. So the Christian life is first pictured by the dedication of a soldier. But secondly, the discipline of an athlete, the discipline of an athlete. You do not become godly. And I want to say up front, you do not become godly by accident. Just like you don't become an athlete by accident, you don't become godly by accident. See, we're all suckers for quick and easy schemes, aren't we? You get them in the email all the time. You've got to be like me. You always get these little incessant pleas for you to take this pill or to have part with this little thing. Indeed, they come and they tell you, hey, you know what? You don't have to change anything. You don't have to change your diet. You don't have to change your exercise. And we'll give you the secret for getting in shape. Yeah, right. We know that there's no easy way to go about that, is there? Other than changing diet, other than changing our exercise, we can't do that in and of ourselves. There's no easy route. And why should we think there's an easy route, spiritually speaking? There are some out there who say, well, name it and claim it. If you just had enough faith, it would all change for you. That's not what the Bible teaches. Paul says, endure hardship. Be willing to discipline yourself, even as the athlete does, competing according to the rules. The athlete metaphor shows that it is only by discipline that the athlete may compete and win. Listen, it's not hocus and hocus pocus that brings holiness in your life. It is hard work and discipline of following the instructions God has laid out in his scriptures. That's what guides us and directs us. Every athlete knows that occasional jogging will not prepare you to be a participant in the Olympics. To to compete on a winning level, you must daily discipline your body with exercise in diet and proper rest so that you might achieve those purposes which you have set for yourself. See, Paul writes in chapter 4, verse 7 of 1 Timothy, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. What did he say? Discipline. Now, that's a bad word because we don't even like to spank our kids in America anymore. But discipline says that there is hard work, there's duty, there are requirements to be fulfilled in this process. 
See, you can wish for godliness, but it won't ever come. You can try magic, magic potions and magic words for godliness, but it won't ever come. Listen, you can't become godly apart from the discipline and diligent devotion to Jesus Christ and to growing in a personal relationship with him. Well, how in the world can I do that, Pastor? Three basic things that must be present for those who are being disciplined in their walk with Christ daily. First of all, you must, you must, you must study his word. You must know His Word. You must study His Word. This is what God has revealed of Himself to us. And so we must give ourselves to studying God's Word. Secondly, we must pray continually. Indeed, we understand most of us treat prayer as if it were something that, that, by which we, in the comfort of our living room, shouted out a command for another round of drinks to come into be served. That's not the picture of prayer. Prayer is the battle line, walkie-talkie, between the soldier on the front line and his commanding king back at his throne. And so when we pray, we ought to be praying consistently, constantly, making our requests known before the living God, asking for Him to minister and care for us. Thirdly, we need to be people who are Steady in participating in the edification and in the encouragement that comes from God's church. Indeed, it is important for God's people to be in God's church, to be under God's word so that we can be encouraged, so that we can be edified, so that we can be built up for the work of the ministry that God has given to us. Indeed, there are no shortcuts for discipline must be present in the life of the one who wishes to live godly for the sake of Christ Jesus. We must not only so we not only must have discipline present, but we must compete according to the rules of God's word. If an athlete disobeys the rules of his sport, he is immediately disqualified. Yet many Christians, even Christian leaders, think they have a special exemption that allows them to disobey God's word and still expect blessings. Let me just put it bluntly of what this spells out in our culture. This spells out in their culture in a way where men would give themselves to mental lust and constantly pursuing pornography and then pray, Lord, keep me morally pure. Keep my wife morally pure. Keep my children morally pure. That is utter ridiculousness. How can you say, God bless my business when you're cheating in your business and you're cheating on your taxes? You can't make that claim. Let me... Put it bluntly for young men and young women. Students, listen. I love you. I love you dearly. But I want you to understand, you can't run around and ignore God's moral requirements and commands within his word and then turn around and pray, God, give me a godly mate. Give me a godly husband, a godly wife. Listen, don't run around and sleep with everything in the world and then expect for God to bless you by giving you a godly husband or a godly wife. You can't get a godly husband or godly wife until you become a godly man or godly woman yourself. And that comes through discipline and giving yourselves to Christ and not to the desires of your flesh. That's clear. We need to be clear on this. 
Our aim is to compete in such a way to win the prize. And in in competing in such a way to win the prize, we must obey God's rules. We must follow God's commands. Listen, we are not under the law as in a way that leads us or saves us, uh, leads us to salvation or saves our souls. We are not under the law in order to commend ourselves to God. But the law is a guide. It is a tutor. It points out the places where we do not walk in God's holiness where we do not follow Him. And it points us to the need that we have for God's Savior to secure our salvation by His death on the cross. See, God didn't obliterate. He didn't wipe out His law when He sent Jesus Christ to to live a perfect and pure life and then to suffer and die in your place on the cross of Calvary. He kept the law in every way, perfect and pure. He was just in every way. And yet He died on that Christ, so on that cross, as Jesus Christ, the Messiah of the world, so that the one who is just might also become the justifier of all those who need salvation. And here's the question. Have you brought yourself under submission to that Savior? See, you can't save yourself by completing God's law. In fact, you don't have a chance because it says, indeed, every person has fallen short of the glory of God. Every man has fallen short of the glory of God. But God has completed the holiness and the obedience that was needed to save the soul of mankind in Jesus Christ. And He put Him on the cross to suffer and die die for the penalty of your sin. And if you would repent of your sin and place your faith unreservedly in Christ, then and then alone you would be redeemed. You would be set free. And you would have the Holy Spirit of God living within you to lead you and guide you in obedience to Christ. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 to run in such a way that we might win the prize. In the Christian race, though, we're not, we're not competing against each other. We're not comparing against each other. We are running a race that has multiple winners. For all of those who have trusted in Jesus Christ are redeemed and set free from their sin and set free to live for Him. And so as a Christian, we ought to adopt the, the aspect of life. We ought to adopt the purpose of life listen to not dink around with the christian life god has given us but to make the most of it we need to stop just playing christianity we need to start living and serving and loving the living god do we give ourselves to drunkenness and drugs and debauchery certainly not certainly not for we have a god who has loved us who has justified us who is sanctifying us, and one day will glorify us. We say that we love and we serve God, but listen, there's a problem. If we say we love God and we live for God, there's a problem if we live like the world. If we look like the world. If we love like the world. If there is no difference between my life and the life of one who does not name Jesus Christ, there is should not be the claim upon my lips that I have been changed and transformed by Him. We must be honest with ourselves. 
First John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 say, Do not love the world, nor the things of in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. The next time you see a finely honed athlete like those, those Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets running up and down the field, running that ball across that chalk line, accomplishing and scoring touchdowns left and right against NC State, listen, you look at them and you say, am I commi- as committed to Christ and following after Him as they are to committing themselves to be diligent runners, disciplined runners? We need to ask ourselves, We need to ask ourselves, are we a picture of faithful service in the fact that we have disciplined our lives under God's command? Thirdly, this morning, the third picture is not only the picture uh, of the the good soldier, not only the picture of the athlete, but thirdly, the picture of the diligence of the farmer. Indeed, many of us raise vegetables. Maybe you plant them in a backyard. Maybe you develop, you, you've just got a little area where you have devoted to nurturing and to working the soil so that you can, you can have a garden and so that you can eat from the fruits of that garden. But understand, for those who depend upon the soil for their living, farming demands even greater toil. It demands a much greater amount of time and interest. Planning and harvesting account for only a small piece a small part of the farmer's time and energy he must also toil till the soil battle the insects disease drought flooding and winds all this keeps the farmer hard at work through the process of the crucial growing season and if he becomes negligent in his attention to any of these problems then what's going to happen he will never see the harvest he will never realize he will never taste the harvest And so what Paul is saying is you ought to labor to this end. You ought to commit yourselves to guarding and growing the gospel and to to planting the gospel into sowing the seeds of the gospel far and wide so that when God sends Christ to call you home and to give an account for your life, your life, when God looks at it, is seen as valuable and there's great harvest to be had because of the consequences of your life. The hardworking Christian will also reap a harvest at the proper time if he does not give up. But crops do not sprout up overnight. Christian service and gospel ministry requires hard work. A person sharing his life and ministry should not demand immediate results. We shouldn't plant the seed today and tomorrow expect the harvest. We ought to plant the seed today and be willing to water and be willing to pick and be willing to prune and be willing to weed and be willing to feed all the way through until the harvest comes full fold. See, God has called each of us to ministry. He has called each of us to service. 
The long haul between our enthusiastic beginning and our anticipated glory requires a great deal of hard work. Each person committed to the life of faith will deal with difficult circumstances. Issues of temptation and sin will constantly come and attack. Spiritual struggles will come and attack. Adverse opinions, misunderstandings, exhaustion, and array of pests which can ruin personal, personal and ministry growth will always be on the attack. But under Understand, commitment must find its home in the heart of the Christian. For in, in that, in that commitment, it will find and work itself out into enduring service. Do you love Christ today? Are you serving Christ today? If you love Christ, if He's called you, if He's saved you, then indeed you are to be faithful. You are to be faithful. In all of life. See, we display a picture of faithful service when we are diligent to farm in faith the fields of our God's glorious kingdom. And when we are willing to share the gospel day by day with our family members, with our friends, with all of those who are around us in our workplaces, in our schools, in our communities. When then upon sharing the gospel, those who receive Christ as king, those who come to know Jesus Christ as their savior and their hope, of eternity in that we are then charged with the responsibility of discipling them, of mentoring them, of maturing them. And in the faith, we are charged with taking that glorious message and that glorious call to the ends of the earth. Is it easy? No. Is it worth it? Yes. There's nothing, nothing more satisfying than knowing the living God and knowing that your life has been given in consequence for His kingdom and for His gospel. For one day Jesus Christ will return and He will smile and say to His church, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Would Jesus be speaking to you today? Are you committed to the King? Are you devoted to Christ? Are you dedicated to Christ as a good soldier? Are you disciplined in your life as an athlete? Are you serving God with all of your heart, with all of your will, with all of your strength? Are you diligent in your service, even as a farmer who tills the soil of the field? See, because God's place for us as Christians, is not just to till the soil, but to till the souls of Adams of Goldsboro, North Carolina. He's given us a place of impact, a place of influence. He has given us a message that changes and transforms sinners into saints. Let me ask you this morning, are you willing to surrender it all so that you might hear from him on that faithful day? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Lord, We pray that we would honor you in our words, in our works, in everything that we do. Father, take this time. Draw us to yourself. Allow our hearts to be open and receptive. Father, allow us to surrender all to you. This morning we have a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of stuff in our lives. Father, there's a lot of 
places where the enemy attacks and and seeks to distract us or deter us from following hard after you. But Father, this morning, let it be a morning that we would lay down our lives, that we would lay down ourselves, that we would submit ourselves fully to you and say, Lord, I surrender all. I'm going to be dedicated and devoted as a good soldier for Christ. I'm going to be disciplined as an athlete and bringing all of my life under submission to you and to your word. Father, this morning I'm going to say that I'm going to be diligent in working just as hard as a farmer works for his produce. I'm going to be diligent in farming the fields, the souls of men that you have entrusted to me here in Goldsboro. Lord, May you lead us and guide us. May you conform us to your image. And Father, may everything that we say and do reflect the fact that we have been changed and transformed by your glorious and gracious gospel through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, may we surrender all to you now. And may you make us manifold producers within your kingdom. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together for our hymn of invitation. I surrender all. And if you-